following lecture was produced by the Gnostic Academy of Chicago, a nonprofit organization, and is one of many available for podcast, download, and transcription. You can visit chicagonosis.org to find courses, articles, scriptures, commentaries, and other valuable resources that address a wide variety of spiritual subjects, interests, and needs. Through the generous support of listeners like you, the Gnostic Academy of Chicago has produced online courses, lectures, and articles freely available worldwide. If you have benefited from this knowledge, help humanity through making a tax-deductible donation at chicagonosis.org. If you are interested in attending the Gnostic Academy of Chicago in person, you may view our online class schedule and freely register at meetup.com slash chicagonosis. The Chicagoland Gnostic Academy provides humanity with the necessary means for transforming suffering and acquiring personal knowledge of the divine. With this purpose in mind, we now begin the lecture. May all beings be happy. I've actually never seen this, this work of art, but this is probably my favorite and I'd love to see it. It's near the Vatican. It's called The Lady of Compassion by Michelangelo. If you look at it, you can see the beauty of the woman is really unreal in the amount of detail. You've seen just the muscle structure, the tendons. He's got the veins. He's even got the cubicles and the fingernails. This Michelangelo, he knew his art like a scientist. Different muscles. He was like a doctor. He knew it all. It was his life. But as well, he's able to show with a lot of purity, a lot of sanctity. So he understand all of this. He was an artist. Back in those times, like in the golden age of the Roman times or the Greeks, you heard of the schools of Plato, Aristotle, Pythagoras, the Eleusinary Mysteries, the secret schools. And they taught people to be a complete person. For them to recognize true individuality within themselves. For them to be truly happy. That was the purpose of their education. We look at our education now. People go to school. They don't know why. They get a job. They don't know why. They're not satisfied. It doesn't lead them to happiness. They may have things they want. But it's not what makes them happy. And we have a lot of intelligent people in this country. And around the world. But still they make medicines that hurt people but as well, cure people. When it comes to peace, they look for violence as the second means of having peace and really a way of deal-making, of overpowering someone so that someone gets subdued. It's not real happiness. Someone there is losing. So back in those times, they looked for a complete person. In those times when they, in those secret schools, they look for someone to become happy, 
So they always had four pillars. And they weren't looking for just physicality, for the sensations to be happy. They're looking to go a deeper level than that. They want for them to have true experience of who they truly are, something that is divine. And they did it through four, four ways. And Gnosis is something that is gained from putting these into practice. Gnosis is just a word. It just means to know. G-N-O means to know. That cis is shown something active within themselves. An active knowledge that they're receiving, that they're experiencing. And they did it through science, philosophy, art, and religion. The science is, we should know what we're, we should be practicing, what we're learning. We should be really a scientist about that craft. The philosophy is how we live it. Then there's an art to it. And the religion is that it's pure. It's from the divine. It sanctifies. But as well, it reminds us of the origin of the word, which is the Latin term religare, which means to unify all four. But to unify our human soul with the divine soul. To become a complete person. The one that is most elusive is the art. Because it's easy to take a book and read it. We can get the concepts. That's, that's simple. It's easy to take those concepts and go, you know, I'm going to live, live a different way. You know, dress different, I'm going to talk to different people, and you go to different places. That's easy. And then it just becomes another type of religion that we see all around the world. People follow it, they don't know why they follow it, they don't really care why. It's just that they follow the science of it, the pseudoscience, and they follow and they have a type of way they live. But there's no true conscious perception of it. The purpose of these four is to teach a person to perceive differently through the consciousness. It's the art that really brings all four of these together. Because it's the one that's not specific. Michelangelo, he started off with just a block of marble, just the earth. And he created something beautiful that's beyond imagination, beyond words, that people for 500 years have gone to see and flocked to. And this is not meant to just be like a beautiful artifact that we look and see. But it's meant for that person to walk up to it and go, what did that artist experience that produced that type of beauty? I mean, who the heck wants to carve a freaking piece of marble? That's crazy. And have this, it's flawless. So something must have motivated that individual to produce that. And have a work of art that's a pure beauty. That's the art. And it's not scientific, it's not some it's not scientific, but it's not something that's understood by the mind. That art, something that's intuitive. They have an idea what they want, but as they're going, it's changing. It's intuitive as they go through it. Gnosis is lived upon facts, withers away, withers away in abstractions, and is difficult to find in the even in the noblest of thoughts. It's Samuel en Vior. So facts. So anything we are experiencing should always be off facts. That type of uh, knowledge that we talked about here 
works of the consciousness, which is really a science of the consciousness. We talk about conscious. If you look at it in the dictionary, it's, it's pretty on point of what that means. Because nowadays people don't really understand consciousness. So let's just take it from the dictionary. The state of being conscious, knowledge of one's own existence, condition, sensations, mental operations, mental operation acts, etc. Immediate knowledge or perception of the presence of any object, state, or sensation. An alert cognitive state in which you are aware of yourself and your situation. So it's a state of being, it's a perception, and it's an alert cognitive state. So meaning, for you to be conscious of something, you need to be able to perceive it first. To perceive something, you have to have to be aware of it. And to be aware of it, you need your attention directed towards that thing. So it's attention directed into your awareness is consciousness. It's when we perceive something. And there's many levels of it. What we see now is really more physicality. But here on the left, you see the tree of life, which shows it's the roadmap of the consciousness. And these are all different levels of the consciousness of energy and matter. At the very top, it's very subtle. And as and it's considered the heavens, but it's very subtle. And as this energy descends, it becomes denser and denser until it gets to Makuth, which is the physical world that we're in. The question may come up, why can't we perceive these upper ones here? Because we're not conscious of them. We're not aware of them. We don't have our attention in that. Here, it's good that we're placed here. Because our this is where our consciousness can be somewhat aware of ourselves. When we're in our dreams, we're not aware of ourselves. We dream. Many people don't even remember their dreams. Dreams is Hod, the astral world. So therefore, if we were just placed here and not here, it would be very hard for us to be aware of ourselves, so we would be trapped. So in Makuth, we have that opportunity to rise up. Below that is the Hell Realms, which they call Klipoth, these empty shells. The consciousness is completely trapped, and therefore it goes through a recycling process to refine that consciousness, but that's for another lecture. So what's the science? Let's understand the science before talk about the philosophy and the art and the religion. In the Bible, Proverbs, it says, More than all that you guard, guard your mind, for it's the source of life. The true knowledge that can really originate a fundamental internal change in us, direct self-observation of oneself. That's Samuel Vior. I teach of suffering, its origin, cessation, means stopping, and the path. That is all I teach. That's Buddha Shakyamuni. So all these are talking about guarding the mind and to get out of suffering. In Buddhism, when you first run into Buddhism, everyone's normally heard of the Four Noble Truths. I remember learning this in middle school. They taught about it briefly. But he points out some really significant things. All existence is unsatisfactory and filled with suffering. The root of suffering can be defined as craving or clinging to the wrong things, searching to find stability in a shifting world is the wrong way. 
it is possible to find an end to suffering. So he's saying here, in this world, this physicality, through the sensations, there's always suffering. And that if we look for peace and happiness within that, you're not going to find it. Because the world is always shifting. The mind is always shifting. But there is an end to it. And he says it's through the Eightfold Path. is the way to finding the solution to suffering and bring it to an end. So what is the Eightfold Path? It's right view, right interaction, which is known as wisdom. Right speech, right action, right livelihood, ethical conduct, action. Right effort, right mindfulness, right concentration, mental development, meditation. So when we begin, we want to act a certain way. And then through training our mind, we can restart receive wisdom, a right view or right interaction with the world. The ethical conduct is what we see in all religions. You see the Ten Commandments. In Hinduism, it's yama and niyama. Don't harm, don't steal, don't lie. Don't abuse yourself sexually don't have desires. If we look at the Ten Commandments, the first few lines are, don't have idols, believe in God, only one God. But that basically means don't have multiple desires, don't be worshiping people on Instagram, don't be trying to gain money, worshiping just money. You have a duality, you don't have a true individuality when you do that. You see, there's suffering. You worship something that's not real, you suffer. So you want good ethical conduct. As well, they say, to be pure. To have, basically, understand that you do suffer and try to comprehend it by observing and remembering, by self-remembering. Unfortunately, nowadays, people think of these Ten Commandments and these ways of acting as, as restrictions on their life. But they're really restraints and observances that we have. Because if someone wants to observe or see something that is not of the physical sensation, that's more than just here, they need to use their energy correctly that doesn't block their consciousness from reality. If you go against that, which you'll find out if you do, it just further inhibits the consciousness and makes it heavier. And it's harder to see those more subtle aspects of nature. With mental development, with meditation, it begins to break through our desires and the things we're so hypnotized by, which receive, at the end receives wisdom. And really the purpose of meditation is to fundamentally change. What it does is it starts to, if you just this practice you did here, the mind became calmer. The physical became calm. sensations became calmer. And then another type of sense comes out. We start to become observant of how the body is sitting, of the room, and everything else. And it, it can expand or become very minute. There you see something that is coming out that's not a physical sensation, that we call the consciousness. When that begins to happen, we're observing something that is 
deeper than our sensations and starts to come in other ways of living. And that's why it influences ethical conduct. When we start to understand why shouldn't I be angry? Why am I not loving in these situations? Why is anger my first way of going or violence? Why, why do I go there first? Like that's obviously going to cause suffering for me. But I go there first. And meditation starts to begin to change that. And that's when we begin to have a right view or right interaction with the world. But it takes effort. It takes mindfulness. It takes concentration. So what is meditation? For meditation, we can take pretty much any posture. We just really want to make sure we're relaxed. It's not about sitting cross-legged. It's not about sitting full lotus or what you see on the East or in yoga. It's not the purpose of meditation. The purpose is to get in a position that's relaxed. Because if the physical body is relaxed, the sensations will be relaxed, the mind will be relaxed. Otherwise, you'll be just be very disturbed. And you won't be able to focus. So meditation in Sanskrit is dhyana, which is the root for root word is daya, which means to see. So it's a state of being. It's a state of the consciousness. It's a combination of concentration and imagination equals meditation. So basically, after we become relaxed enough, you want to start focusing on one thing, like a candle. A candle flame. A candle flame is good because if you've ever been to a campfire, it's very, it just focuses your attention. And if it's, a flame is quite small and it moves slightly, so it stimulates the imagination, then you can concentrate the mind. But this is kind of a vague, English language is just very vague when it comes to concepts like this. So the Sanskrit terms, terms are a lot more revealing. So shamatha means one-pointed mind or calm abiding. And this is something you can experience for yourself, a one-pointed mind. When you concentrate enough, that mind will really be focusing on one thing and won't think of anything else. It's something you can actually experience. And it doesn't take a lot of work. But if we break it up, it's of two words, sha, which means peace, or mata, dwelling or stability. So peace, if we think of concentration, a lot of us think, let's get a cup of coffee and let's sit down and let's, let's hit the books or hit the computer. And that's just a really forceful way of against the body. First, you're operating your cardiovascular and you're stimulating your mind through an external force. It's nothing through your own willpower. So it's really kind of a violence against the body. We know a lot of stimulants like that is not good over long periods of time. So really what it's saying that when you're in peace and you're settled and you're very calm, that mind will naturally be concentrated. It's a natural state that we're in. We think, unfortunately, we think multitasking is natural. That's completely unnatural. It's when the mind is settled and concentrated. And you'll know this when you, if you practice enough meditation. It's obvious. But we shouldn't forget shamatha, well, meditation is a combination of shamatha and vipassana, which is imagination. You see down here. Which, a better translation is insight. Because imagination now is, is not a good word for, for English translation. 
because we think if someone's very imaginative, they're just fantasizing. And the way we use it, yeah, that's, that's, that is true. Insight is a lot better word. So the beginning of it, of the Sanskrit words, be vi, vieza, means special or superior, and ashana is to perceive. So it's a special or superior way of perceiving. So when we are using concentration and we're using the imagination to look at the flame, eventually at one point you will see the flame with your eyes closed. You don't need to have them open. It already comes to you that, well, is my imagination really fake or real? Well, if you do it enough, it'll become obvious that what I'm seeing is probably real. And other images can come up when you start focusing your attention differently. But when these two, these concentration and imagination, come together, and they're in the right level, it produces meditation. If someone has too much concentration, meaning their mind is stable, but not enough imagination, then it's going to be hard for them to get any insight, or you could say uh, visualization. If there's too much imagination, not enough concentration, they'll see things, but they won't know what they're saying. So when they are combined together, it results in meditation. It's basically where the mind is seeing reality or an aspect of it at that moment. And this is something that completely can be experienced, especially if you go further than the meditation, which is samadhi, which is when the consciousness is completely free and sees reality as it is. There's many different levels of this, but it sees it. And that's something you can, anyone can experience. But it's a direct way of perceiving. With enough practice to get the meditation, it's not all that hard. It just takes time doing it every day. But with that, remember we had a science, but it's also a philosophy, which is a way of living. So meditation, many people think, oh, I'll meditate, I'll sit down, that's the only time I do it, and they go out and they party and go crazy all day long. And then they go back to meditate and they wonder why their mind's crazy. It's obvious because 23 hours of the day they were going crazy. And only one hour of the day they were trying to calm it down. So it says, momentariness is a special characteristic of the Gnostics. We love the philosophy of momentariness. We love the moment, moment to moment, meaning you should always be self-observant. They asked the master, Bokuju, do we have to dress neat daily? How can we escape from this? And the master replied, we eat, we get dressed. I do not comprehend, said the discipline. Then get dressed and eat, said the master. This is precisely action free of opposites. Do we eat? Do we get dressed? Why make a problem of that? Why think about other things? While we're eating and getting dressed. If you're eating, eat. If you're getting dressed, get dressed. And if you're walking on the street, walk, walk, walk. But do not think about anything else. Do only what you are doing. Do not run away from these facts. Do not fill them with so many meanings, symbols, sermons, and warnings. Live them without allegories. Live them with a receptive mind from moment to moment. Basically what he's saying here is that we should be observant of what we're doing. If we're getting dressed, observe that. 
if the mind starts thinking about what you're going to be doing next, it's not present in that moment. And therefore, if you have two, th if the body's doing something, and the mind's doing something else, it's not concentrated. And therefore, you're dipping out of meditation. And if you just train yourself like that all day long, and you go to meditate, you're going to be really frustrated. So he continues. He says, "Comprehend that I am taking, I am talking, to you about the path of action." Free of the painful battle of the opposites. I am talking to you about action without distractions, without evasions, without fantasies, without abstractions of any kind. Change thy character, beloved. Change it through intelligent action. Free the battle of the opposites. When the doors of fantasy are closed, the organ of intuition awakens. So when this is practiced, the consciousness begins to awaken more and more and more along with meditation. This is when that intuitive wisdom starts to come in. So self-observant is something you should always be doing at all moments, even right now. If you're here, you should just be listening to the voice, if that's what you want to do. Now this is basically the science that we talked here. The hard part to understand is the art. Because the art is the most elusive part about that. When Michelangelo created this, like I said before, it was just the block of marble of the earth. What does an artist do? They create. It's a creator of something. And they create something for nothing. The result of any artist is beauty. I don't know why you wouldn't want to create anything that's beautiful. No one would want to see your art. So it's beauty. That's the end goal of any artist. That block of stone in Greek, and at least in the Greeks, they used to have a lot of block stone. And they used to put what they called a herm. Well, in English they called the herm. I guess there they call it herma. And it would be on crossroads. It would be at boundaries. It would be at temples and buildings. And it would just be a block. But out on that block, you see an erected penis normally, or the, the head of Hermes, or, or a very sculpted, well-sculpted man, his face. It's showing the artist, through working, can sculpt out of stone the perfect man, the divinity, through what is the erected penis, which is really a sexual symbol, showing sexual power is what is sculpted out of the stone, which is divine, it's beauty. It's representing the god Hermes. We know from the god Hermes, he is the individual who is the messenger, or the interpreter of Zeus. Zeus is located in the Trinity, which is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Hermes had the ability to travel to the heavens, all through the heavens, as well as the hells. That was one of the only gods that could do that. It is basically a force of divinity. It's a force of the being. It's a force of nature that we all have within us. It's a part of us. It's a type of force in nature that we have within us that we need to work with that can sculpt us. Hermes is, this is Hermes, 
That's the Greek word for him. The Roman is the Mercury. And he gives a clue to where this is in our bodies. You see the caduceus of Mercury. And then you see the two serpents showing three pillars. That caduceus of Mercury, you see many other religious figures, they always have a staff that represents the spinal column. As you see here in this Buddhist painting. That stuff represents the spinal column. That spinal column has the whole nervous system within it. It's what fit, supports the physical body, but as well supports the consciousness. There's fluids in there. If you look at the fluids in the body, you have it in the spinal column, you have it in the sexual glands, and as well as you have it in the brain. And that fluid is very similar. It varies a little bit, but it's all very similar. The nervous system goes to the brain all the way to sexual glands in that spinal column. If we think about it, that nervous system it what, in our spinal column, without that we could not think. Through that nervous system we can feel. Through that nervous system we have sexual desires. Through that nervous system we're able to perceive. The consciousness could not work without the nervous system. It would be impossible. So it's through that nervous system that Hermes descends into. It's through that nervous system that God communicates, or Zeus, or those higher forces of nature communicate within us. They can hear us back and forth. What it's really referring to is the sexual force. It's the central nervous system, the sympathetic nervous system, and the parasympathetic nervous system that we have within. It's also referring to the forces of energy in us that relate to our vitality that support us spiritually, our spiritual bodies. So you see these three forces, and they're connected to the sexual glands in the spine all the way to the head. Hermes is that force in the spine. He is the force that can sculpt that stone. He has wings on there because it is the one that can rise us up, consciously speaking. So he's showing through that force that consciousness can be enlightened. And you can really see this. If someone has an orgasm, the whole nervous system spazzes out and they feel good. But they don't realize that is that Shock, it's a shock to the nervous system. It's like short circuits. It actually damages it. It's like a, it's like a wire that, that's going towards a light, and then it's not connected right. It's short circuit. It kind of explodes and burns and burns the circuit out. And therefore, the light won't go. Even if there's electricity forming, it just burns it out. It doesn't work. When that energy is supplemented and transmuted through the nervous system, without the orgasm, without the spasm, through pranayama or sexual alchemy between two partners of opposite sex, then it nourishes the nervous system. Just like a wire, when it smoothly goes through, it lights the light up. That light is our consciousness. When that nervous system is just supplemented, the sexual glands relate to hormones. Man turns into a boy, turns into a man because of the hormones. It changes his whole nervous system. So when that energy is saved, it supplements the organs and invigorates the nervous system. 
Therefore, it lights up the consciousness so that we can perceive something different or deeper than the physical senses. This is what Hermes is saying. This is what he's trying to communicate to us. So we can experience those higher forces of life that Zeus is, is related to. Through that comes beauty. Here you see Hermes actually could raise the dead in the mythology. Not physically dead, but consciously dead, which is this the symbol of the man that's been stabbed. And this individual can mean two ways. Someone who's consciously dead can begin to become conscious through comprehending his own defects, through ethics, through correct conduct, correct action, and through mental development and using those forces of energy within us in an upright, proper way. So the result of this is beauty. Someone who has perfectly used their energies. They have mental development. They have perfect ethics. They are perfectly using the forces of Hermes. They become a beautiful person. In this story, in the mythology of the judgment of Paris, that person, no matter man or woman, is represented by Paris, who's known as the most beautiful man in the world. That's just a symbol. It's representing the type of an initiate. He was, as a young boy, when he was born, he's left on the Mount of, of Ida, left to the shepherds. And they made him into a shepherd. He was known to have a lot of courage and fight for what was right. In this story, these three women here, Athena, Hera, and Aphrodite, were, I guess, disturbed by the god Discord. He had thrown a golden apple into the mix. And these three women, because of this Discord, they wanted to know who was the most beautiful. And so they go to their father, Zeus, and said, Who, who's the most beautiful? And he didn't want to get involved. This would turn out bad. So he tells Hermes, he goes, look, go down to Paris, since he's the most beautiful man in the world, and see what he says. There, Paris says, well, you're all very beautiful. Well, in the story, they got naked. That nakedness is what he's saying is basically that person has perfect consciousness. They have perfect perception. They're able to see through everything. Nothing is veiled. Nothing is hidden. And that's what's showing with this. Just the beauty that he understands in his heart. Paris asks the woman, goes, look, you're all very beautiful. And I can't judge this, so you're going to have to bribe me with something. And here it says, well, I'll give you Europe and Asia. You can rule that. Athena says, I'll give you conquer all men. You'll be the ruler over them. And Aphrodite says, well, I'll give you, I'll marriage you with the most beautiful woman in the world. Her name is Helen. So Paris goes with Aphrodite. He goes with love and beauty. Aphrodite is always known as the most beautiful goddess. She's also the goddess of Venus. Obviously, she, this whole thing here, 
relates to sex. If you're a man, or if you're a woman, you can convert this to the most beautiful man. You can see old Brad Pitt's, let's say. But if you're a man and you're looking at this, and this stirs up lust within you, obviously, this is obvious what this is showing you. I'm showing you no truth. You, you, this has to do with the sex. This is what this is communicating. But it's trying to communicate the purity of sex when it's used correctly. It has true beauty. The golden apple, obviously, is sexual. A sexual seed, and gold is something very pure. Hermes is that sexual force. So basically what's happening is, Hermes is that sexual force in his spine. And he's already married to Helen in real life. But it's through love that he keeps Helen. Through the beauty, and he understands the true beauty. Hera, no, sorry, Athena is, is always the goddess of war. She's the one, as he, as he has good ethics. He has destroyed those modifications of light within himself. That sexual force is light. When we have lust within ourselves, it modifies, it produces modifications, and all we see is lust. If we have anger, it modifies the way we perceive and produces just sees anger. When he never sees lust, therefore that's why this is revealed. Hera, I'll give you Asia and Europe, basically showing he has aspects of the soul built already. This is Helen. Helen is known as the most beautiful woman in the world. It's Helen of Troy or Helen of Sparta. She was Helen of Sparta before he married her and then became Helen of Troy. But if the Helen reminds us of Helios, the Greek word Helios, which basically means the sun or Christ, she is an aspect of what we call the divine soul. So someone that has, has perfect ethics, they use their energy correctly, they use their emotion correctly and their intelligence in purity, become a beautiful person, which is when their willpower aligns with God, which means tifereth. At that point, he marries the divine soul, which is really a combination of Gabriel and Hesed. Helen's parents were related to Benah and Hokmah. I know this is, might be a little abstract. Let me explain it a little better. If this was on our body, we put our back like this on it. Yesod represents Makuth. Yesod, Yesod represents energy. It's the foundation. It represents sex. That's what it means, foundation. Hod is always the astral world, which, which represents emotion. Mixak, or victory, represents the mind, the intellect. See, Aphrodite represents sex. The foundation. Hera, Hod, Athena represents the mind, someone who has worked on themselves. Since he's conquered those aspects of himself, he's created a beautiful person. Tifereth means beauty, it means willpower. As you see, Athena aligns with this. Helen, since Benah, oh, Okmah means wisdom, Benah means intelligence, and she is a descendant of that. 
her parents, the mother came from Banah, and her father was Zeus, which represents Christ. And she was the result of that. So it's these two here in the story are automatically married. He has united his soul with divinity. That's what it's referring to. I'm pointing this out because sex is the way of lightening the consciousness, and through that we can remove the impurities within our mind. And that's how Michelangelo was able to create something like this. A lot of those artists were clairvoyant already. They knew this science. So we should understand what the science is, we also understand what the philosophy and what the religion is. And know they're not separate. But it's the art that we always have to work on within ourselves. So any questions? So you talk about him judging these three women. You say that we need to have perfect, you know, purity of sexuality, purity of mind, purity of heart. I'm curious if, I mean, is the reason why he picks Aphrodite as the most beautiful because somehow like working with the sexual energy is what is most important rather yeah. than working with the mind or heart? Is it like... That's how he gets to marry Helen, the working with sexuality, or why, why does he pick that over, like, the mind and the heart? Well, because there's, if we just look at this through the body, when the sexual force goes through, it nourishes those organs, just because they're connected to the nervous system. The sexual force is considered the most powerful, because just like anything, you can create any, any anybody can create a, a human being through sex. We can't do that with the intelligence, and we can't do that through the emotion, but that force can. It's the most powerful force we have. And I guess this can be abstract if you're just listening to it. But if something you transmute the energy through a pranayama or, or through sexual alchemy, it becomes obvious. That's invigorating that is just because these two can work when Aphrodite is working with the initiate. Basically, when that sexual force is working with us, we're using it. Those other two forces of psychologically analyzing what's going through our mind becomes much more powerful. There's like a light being shined. So the energy is going through, in, through the nervous system, and we have more energy for the consciousness. And then there's like a, a bigger flashlight starts to happen. And you start to notice other things in our psychology. If we start to meditate, then other things come up. A lot of students say, you know, I've been practicing, my mind's just getting so crazy. It's just because now you see it. Now you're practicing, now you see it. And so Athena is that force that tries to help you remove those psychologies, to help you see it so you can comprehend it. Hera is really relating kind of with the soul. She says, I'll give you Asia from Asia or Asia, which He's referring to the physical world. Basically, you will conquer yourself if you keep going that way. Um, Europe is, I'm sure, it's an aspect of the soul that's being gained. But it's really through the sexual force that this starts to begin. It starts to happen. Aphrodite is also love. It's the opposite of a lot of our defects that we have within. But she's just really, it's really just showing beauty uh, that we're seeing. So beauty, I mean, anger is, is not beautiful. Lust is not beautiful. 
Being impatient is not beautiful. Being greedy is not beautiful. So it's all those aspects, but the virtuous aspects, being charitable, being gentle, being loving, all those things. Say that make that makes sense? All right. Would you say that he chooses love because love conquers all? Yeah, in a basic in a basic way, yeah. Yeah. Um are there I'm going back to when you said um orgasm actually is short circuiting the brain. Or the nervous system. Yeah, nervous system. Uh, No, I mean, there isn't really great studies out there because that type of science isn't accepted. Because even doctors have encouraged that, you know, it's good to release once in a while. It's good for prostate health. Um, I think the problem with that is they never looked into uh, people who practice transportation. Yeah, so there's a difference. Yeah, I mean, if you were to, like a stagnant, just like a stagnant piece of water, if it's just left stagnant, it's not running, it just rots. So that's not what you want to do. You don't want to just... It has to be moving. You, I, the way energy works in all of nature, if it's not moving, it, uh, it rots. It transforms into something. So when it moves... So we mean transmutation. We don't mean like a lot of priests do. They don't, they don't masturbate or they have, don't have sex or don't have the orgasm. They just, or they don't even try to move it up the spine to invigorate the nervous system. So it just stays, they call it um, celibacy. That's not good. What that produces, yeah, so someone who produces does a lot of celibacy. Um, it's, they're known to have, this is kind of scientific proof for you, they're known to be plump or very fanatical or very skinny. And you see a lot of the monks um, within those places. They don't look too good. It's part of that. It's either sexual perversion because they just forgot it and said, forget it, I'm just going to go with it. Or they just completely stop and hasn't moved the energy. So therefore, it produces abnormalities in the body. But we're talking about transmuting. This is actually the move, letting the move, energy move. In the beginning, it can be hard because the nervous system is not used to it. And the body, like a tree takes time to grow. The nervous system takes time to get used to it. But if you're not into that and you're just going to be celibate, it's better that you just orgasm. Just because you're, you're going to hurt the prostate. In that sense, because that's that's not good. There's a good book out there called um, Cupid's Poisoned Arrow, and that just goes. That's the only person I found that has that has scientific proof, and they just take it from a purely physical point of view, mm-hmm. not really spirituality. She knows about Samuel Bior, she knows about Buddhism, and she just points out that this is what happens when you start to transmute energy, and more when it's she's really talking about sexual relationship. But it's and she goes into some of the science of it. It's interesting, interesting book. Uh, that w- that may help if you're interested in that topic. That's good. Yeah, go ahead. About imagination, um, why uh, you word, the word imagination is used actually? Because when you say imagination, right, we're thinking about imagining. Yeah. Um, but we should not imagine. Yeah, correct. So why is it used? Well, see, that's well. That's the only word we really have in, in English. That's 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 why I use. That's why cannot be used for seeing or perception. Or visualization. You can use that too. You can use that too. Right, but uh, reason I say that is just well, I guess a really proper word would be almost like clairvoyance, that clear seeing. But not of us when we imagine we're not going to see so clear. So basically, seeing. Seeing, yeah. Seeing that it's you actually not imagine not. 
Yeah, you're not fan. So the big, yeah, so the big difference between imagination with that way you use it. When we think of imagination now, we we project the image. We're just like so in the beginning when you try to imagine a flame, you'll kind of project the image just because you're not used to doing. It's a memory. It's a memory. So that's a, a memory is a type of projection. So when we begin to do it, the mind, when the mind starts calming down, it won't think. And if it becomes concentrated, it'll start to see the flame, but it won't be projecting it. It'll actually be receiving it. Perception is a type of receive, a receptive way. Consciousness is receptive. So that's what we're working with. And that's what we're trying to reproduce when you meditate. In the beginning, some people actually hurt their eyes and will get migraines because they're so used to seeing that they try to use the physical eyes. Remember, I did that in the very beginning. Uh, but you just start to get used to relaxing, and then those images start happening. Yeah. And that's proper, that's real imagination. I guess it's a play on the words, but that's real imagination. Real imagination. Not the English imagination that we're, everyone's used okay. to using. Real imagination, the true meaning of it. Because it's very confusing word. Imagination without fantasy. Yeah, without fantasy. Do you want to explain to everybody? I mean, it has to be... You don't have to make a distinction. Yeah. yeah. There's a positive and negative. Positive is when the consciousness is free of any ego, any defect, yeah. which could cloud the perception. Because there's levels of perception that, whether they're objective and real, or there are mind illusion so the difference lies in between the quality of our consciousness yeah so what we mean by imagination in, in our studies we're talking about the pure imagination whereas unconscious imagination subconscious imagination infraconscious imagination is illusion and that's what we want to avoid that's yeah. fantasy but they're both imagination mm. so how do we distinguish for people which one's the right imagination if you have to say positive imagination and negative. Yeah, I guess maybe I should make the distinction in the future. Yeah. Well, I should. It's, it's, yeah, it's, all it's, of us, yeah. Let's yeah. yeah. Are there any um, suggestions, uh, tips for um, improving um, this skill? I often find that it, it's like I, I don't know when it's happening. Once I start watching it, I snap out of it. Yeah, that's the difficulty part, because our mind is so attached to when it sees something, it just wants to go there. Like, the way we act in life is that is we react to sensation. So when you start visualizing, you start seeing things, the mind goes, oh, I react. So it does that. So it, that whole spot of meditation, you're just trying to, all right, just don't react. Just be still and watch. And... That's you're just shutting down the mind, and you're just letting the consciousness work, and that's 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 a skill. It takes it takes practice. That's that mental development that you're trying to build, but it's normal. So I don't get frustrated. It's just that's just normal process. Yeah. Back to the painting on the left side. I saw a cupid and yeah. something on a. Like this, the woman in the... Medusa? This? Yeah. Okay. That's Medusa. Yeah, Cupid is... She, um... Oh, I'm trying to think of the uh, the name. Yeah, Eros, but it was uh, Cupid. I'm just thinking of the, her, the one she's... The guy he's always associated with. But basically, he's the one who hits someone kind of with love. Yeah. Kind of represents 
the God of Discord, or he threw the apple in there. He's just... What this is, if you're a man or woman and you go into sex with your partner, all of a sudden the mind's going, what's going on? Like, I got all the stimulation. Do I give into it or not? And so that's the discord. And so you're always supposed to have the golden apple to be pure. Not to, not to eat from it, as Adam and Eve did. And you do that through psychological comprehension, through Athena. Hera is domination of the physical body, basically. And Aphrodite is that love or that sexual force, using it in a pure, pure way. Um, and he chose Aphrodite just because that's exactly what he's working with, is the sexuality. That makes sense? Yeah. You see goats in the background because Hermes is always associated with goats or sheep. And also he's seeing a dog. He's a dog. Yeah, dog is representing of, you see a dog in your dream? Dog is man's best friend, so he's guiding you on the path. But also, it can be subdued. Yes, yeah. so you have to. Yeah, so you have to. An untrained dog or a wild dog is those forces of energy, the passions that are, are not controlled. A tamed dog is always sometimes represents Lucifer, is the, is the sexual force as well. But a tamed dog is that force subdued. Can you talk about why Medusa is reflected on the shield of Athena? Yeah, because Medusa is us as well. We have to see our own reflection, but not give in to those desires. Because we, we have those egos, we have those psychological aggregates. When I said modifications, the light within us is modified. and produces entities within us that we call egos, which represent the snakes in the head of Medusa. So we have to see the reflection of Reflection of those egos within, but do not want to stare right at Medusa, meaning being um, seduced by it. So through comp through seeing the comprehension, which is, is the shield of Athena, she uses her spear, and that's the owl being self-observant, the eyes wide open, and she will destroy those egos within us, which creates... Aphrodite, which is beauty. What's peacock represent? That's sexual force, it's sitting right next to Aphrodite, showing the beautiful peacock is beautiful and it raises its feathers as a show of sexual force. Teasing the dog. Say again. the dog. the dog. Yeah. You can't. You can't eat me. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. Looks like it's gonna actually bite his feet, which can represent Malkut. And could yeah. Working with Yasad is. There's always that physical aspect that, that we could get attacked by. Interesting. True. Or, or beware of pride, right? Because if you're working on this, a peacock also can be a symbol of pride, right? Yeah. And it's about to bite him. So he's got to like, be careful as well of that, because that can take him off. And there's also the pride that says, in the work of this alchemical, mystical, sexual alchemy, one thinks that the mind thinks it knows what it's doing. Yeah. But the one that has to be present is, is, is God. Yeah. Yeah, and that's why Hermes is always there. You always got to be listening to that force. He's a sexual force, but used in an upright, proper way. What about the owl? The owl? That's, that's what it says. The eyes wide open. He's always seeing the wisdom, the, the perception. Figure, the figure of the clouds. Yeah, I saw that. So Might be Zeus. I don't know. He's older than a snake, it looks like. Oh, a woman, yeah. It looks like a woman, yeah. I don't know. Exactly.
Yeah, yeah, this is a good painting. Yeah, there's a lot in here. There's a lot in here. I forget the artist's name. I got it on the file. But there's, it's called The Judgment of, of uh, Paris. Yeah, you'll see there's a ton of paintings. This is just one of them. But there's a bunch of artists and paintings of this. There's old Greek paintings, paintings of it. I just like this one the best. It's just trying to communicate the beauty to our, to our minds. You took about art, and you're kind of elusive about it. Um, is there like ways that we could do art, like through speaking, writing? Yeah, that, I mean that'll help. Like I mean, is that that will help with that non-thinking process. Uh, the art I'm talking about is really putting to practices, being self-observant, meditating, transmuting your sexual energy, is the art. But when you're practicing it, you begin to understand. Oh, this is like he was saying there. Anytime um, I see something, I, it goes away. That's the art. You go, all right, this came, but now I just stay serene. That's the art. Now you're really understanding how to do the science and the, and the philosophy. And you're putting all that together, which is with the religion, with divine in mind. So that's, that's what it's all about. You said, something, you said earlier about the work as being a form of art. Yeah. We're trying to create. Create, yeah. How is the work of creating the soul scientific and philosophical as well as uh, mystical? Um, I didn't get too deep into that, but... Well, I guess on a brief side, I guess I won't get too much into it, but here, you consider this basically kind of like the animal soul or the human soul it's each one of us has each one of us has this in a sense but we do not have this we're basically a incomplete soul that which has a spark that needs to turn into a fire so hermes is also known as the creator of fire here's makuth in sexual alchemy we produced fire when an energy is risen, it creates, starts to create these, which we call lunar bodies, which are bodies that are given from nature. And they're kind of, you could say, empty with energy. When that sexual force is used, they start to form, just like a mother when she has, starts to get pregnant. Something begins to form through that sexual force. And so these aspects here, which are not complete, begin to form. And divinity, or divine mother, or nature, begins to become impregnated. But to, to make these bodies, which are called solar, in the end, when they are created, called solar body, has to be perfected. And this is what we're referring to the stone. Because it takes a lot of perfection, a lot of work on ourselves, in order to energize these things with the perfect energy. So therefore, we can create superior bodies that actually reside in these areas of the heavens. Right now, we are in Makuth because we do not own these bodies. We can, you can, you can go here. You can go to these areas in subtle ways through meditation, which they call astral projection, where you can visit Hod, which is the astral world, the dream world. Yeah, you can, you can do that. 
anyone can. And you actually do it all, you actually, everyone does it, they're just not conscious of it. But to consciously go there, anyone can do that, just with practice. But these begin to form. When someone forms this body here, he unites with Helen. And after that, there is an immense battle after he marries Helen because he kidnapped Helen from Sparta and she became Helen of Troy. Because that person now has created these bodies and he has enough force where he can actually dive into his hell and extract the impurities that are down there. And that's, that's, a, that's kind of a whole nother. But it, what's interesting though, Paris was born at the foothills of Ida. That's the mountain. Mount Ida is there. He climbed to the top of Mount Ida. So, as a baby, he's down here. His parents says he abandoned him. His parents are up here. They abandoned him to Malkuth at the foothills of Ida. And then he rose to the Mount of Ida, which is Tifereth. But through building the soul. Going back to <clears throat> idolization when you mentioned Instagram, you want to know, but uh, more so my question is on money. So obviously in this modern world, money is like very... You need money. You need money. You need money. Secondary. We could, at least yeah. in this Chicago, United States, yeah. much, I mean, like food, stuff, whatever. So what is that like fine line? So is it Morally wrong if you're in a job that earns a lot of income. That's your job for you to judge. I mean, it's very hard to find a job now that's that doesn't have problems. Yeah. Every job has problems. That's that's just the world we live in. But you need you, you need a job. You need to live life intelligently. Um, you need to be in with the population of people. That's just that's the way we have to do it. I mean, some people are going to make more money than others. It's not because I know to have quite a bit of money just because. Uh, they got in a, a field that made that money, and they just whatever they get, they got lucky. I know a friend that bought a house cheap and it sold it for five million because that was just the neighborhood he lived in. Nothing wrong with that. Others don't have much money, but we should, if if we're struggling and, and there's something going on there, we're not living life correctly. We got to really get judged how it is. It might be how we see the world. We're like, oh, I don't want to participate in the world, so we don't get a job. That's ridiculous. You got you got to figure out balance because you're not going to live. And it, that's our karma right now. It's the way the world is. It's just whatever job you have, even if it seems noble, if you're a therapist, psychologist, you know, a lot of them don't even want to teach any of this stuff. You'll get fired if you teach this stuff. So it's tough. Yeah, it, it's so it, it's it's tough. Um, just just gotta live light intelligently as best you can. Oh, I have a comment about the money in if you are born rich, it's considered a blessing from God. And uh, they're saying it's the actual, the blessing represents the sexual energy. It's related to sexual energy. And uh, the more it is, the, it, it kind of manifests in uh, prosperity in terms of uh, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Also, there is an analogy. Money is it's not an analogy, but it's uh, money is, uh, and I agree with that. We work for money, 
Yeah. And it is our energy basically uh, manifested into currency. Mm. Uh, not necessarily equally to everybody, according to the karma. Yeah, I mean, it could mean other things. I mean, it could mean could be good karma. Could mean that like maybe someone has uh, had good karma in the past, and now they're just being paid out as a last life, so they have everything. It could mean a lot of things. I mean, I think more importantly, if is that you should just recognize your life um, as one of the ethics are is to accept what you have and just work with what you got. I mean, it's really better to be consciously rich than money rich, and that's just you just have to figure out the balance in your life. You shouldn't work so hard you can't work. You can't do the real work on yourself. But you shouldn't have so little money that you're always trying to work just to survive. So there's a balance. Also, what we do in this work, too, we we get what we need. Yes, absolutely. The yeah. rights of the Concarita. Yeah. As someone says. Concarita, that's that word. Yeah. You get the job you need because you get the ordeals through your job a lot of times. So... Even if you're making a lot of money, you can be struggling spiritually because the job can be testing you, right? Yeah. But what about, what do you think about always using your job to try to help people in some way or another, right? You should, yeah. Like, it might not be a job where you're like a nurse, like healing people's bodies, but like in any kind of job, customer service, anything, even tech, like you're trying to use that as a way to establish your ethics and do you know, become a better person through helping people and learning how to be a good person. Yeah. I should always do your job as best you can. And, yeah. Yeah. And be nice to people and, yeah, everything. I've got a question here at the end, a dumb question. So yeah, go, it's all right. So is there an alternative to sexual transmutation to build these bodies? No. Okay. No. So yeah, you don't just... Everyone has to go through that. No. Except yeah, I mean, I guess nowadays we see this as very limited. We shouldn't really take that viewpoint. Um, when you start working, there's a lot more possibilities. And there's a lot more open than you can imagine. It, and the unfortunate part is everyone's looking for freedom. Everyone's looking for liberation. And now we're seeing everyone identify with sex. They identify as different things. They do this or that. And they think by identifying, that's going to bring them more liberation and more freedom. But the sad part is they keep identifying. Nothing's changing. And the more they do that, they're just going to suffer more and more and more and more and more. And they can do what they want. Anyone can do, has free will to do whatever they want. That's fine. But if you want real liberation, it takes work. And it's just like if you want a lot of money, there's certain rules you have to obey. Mm-hmm. Just anything you want in life, that's just the way it works. If you want to work with the consciousness, there's certain things you just have to act to get that. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just the way things work. Um, and it is a sacrifice. And you are working with suffering to get out of suffering. And sometimes that's painful because you're actually seeing your suffering. But that's good. It actually is kind of like, the best way I can describe it, it's like suffering with beauty. Because you see the suffering, but at the same time, you know you're being taken care of. It's, it's kind of a weird duality. Yeah. How yeah. do you always be taken care of? Consciously. That's the part. Everyone else wants physical comfort. Divinity doesn't really care about that. They do. So you can work. But it's more importantly that you die with your consciousness awakened. 
then you just live to 100 and your consciousness is asleep. Yeah. Is money more closer to Hera and Had than uh, he, uh, Athena? Money? Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess sometimes you saw it as always associated with money, but it's the way that they see it. But well, Yeah, because of power. Well, it's just referring to power or something, because the foundation, if this, this here supports the whole tree of life. If this isn't powerful, then the consciousness cannot view this. It's like a mirror. It represents water. If water is very still, it reflects from what's above. If it's wavy, it can't reflect. So if the mind and the sexual waters are crazy, it can't see past this. When it's calm and it's being transmuted, the nervous system is regenerating, this starts to light up. That's why it's kind of associated with power sometimes, like very superficially, it's sometimes money. But it's, it's, that really has nothing to do with Money shouldn't really be put in there. Yeah, I think Gurdjieff talked about the psychological currency, which is the yeah. Bob and Canalas, which are hmm. mental, emotional, sexual, motor, instinctive forces, which we have as a currency in our psychological bank. And we have to learn to conserve that and use it. Yeah. But material money, as you said, is... Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and unto God's the spiritual money yeah. belongs to heaven. Sex is our spiritual money, right? Our, our yeah, that's sex. That's sexual money. Something. Yeah, I mean, yeah. You use intellect all day, but to grow something, you need that sexual force. Yeah. To learn more about the knowledge covered in this lecture, we invite you to study the books available through Glorian Publishing or GnosticTeachings.org. You can also view free online courses, lectures, transcriptions, and articles available at ChicagoGnosis.org. All of this is made possible by the support of listeners like you. Have you benefited from this knowledge? Help others by making a tax-deductible donation at chicagognosis.org. We thank you for listening. We hope that these lectures aid you in developing your complete and divine potential. May all beings be happy. May all beings be joyful. May all beings be in peace.